Virtually every student cheats. Not every student cheats on at some point in their educational career cheat. They take a shortcut, they lie, they are dishonest, and I guess I'm no different. I remember my English class in high school. We had an exercise in memorizing the Declaration of Independence. Now, I'm a Buick. I'm a brought-up-in-church kid. Memorization is what we do. All the other kids that didn't grow up going to church were terrified. How do you memorize something? And I put the work in. I'm memorizing. I'm practicing. I'm ready to go. But there's this moment in memorization that's the hardest part. It's when you're actually reciting it for, for the score, for the test, right? The pressure of the test or the person sitting in front of you. Silas just about has the books of the Old Testament down. So yesterday he's like, Daddy, come back to my room. We're going to practice it. Well, we sat down. When we actually sat down, somewhere in the Minor Prophets, he fell apart, which I get it. We all do that with the Minor Prophets, right? Well, this is how I felt as the test was about to start. We're sitting in English class. I've been preparing. The teacher's handing out sheets of paper. And uh, my good friend was sitting next to me, Jenny. She was uh, the cheerleader, the captain of the cheerleading squad. On the other side was her boyfriend, the quarterback of the football team. Very stereotypical. And she hands me a sheet of paper. And I'm like, oh, what's this? And I look at it. And it is a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Our teacher has just passed out the test. What is this? I sit on, I'm like, I, to give it away at this point, I would, I would just be caught for cheating. So I'm sitting on it, and she says, no, no, don't do that. She placed it under her desk. She was tracing it. She said, just trace it. It's so much easier. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cheat. I, I, I just start writing, and somewhere between the, we hold these truths to be self-evident, I start to get nervous. I'm like, ah. Oh, Okay, there's this one. I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure. And then it hits me. I'm sitting on the answer. So I get this bright idea. I think I know, but I'm just going to check. And I'm further down at this point. So if this is the table, I have to do this kind of motion to look under the table, under my rear end, to see what's going on. And I'm trying to find that poor part, and it's not a very good uh, process. It's like me trying to find where I'm at in the sermon. I'm looking around in there, trying to see what's going on. And about that time, I hear my teacher yell to me in front of the whole class, Tyler, are you cheating? <sighs> so embarrassing. He takes my paper, he takes me outside, he gives me the biggest lecture, he sends me to the dean of students, which was an assistant coach on the wrestling team. They call my parents, they tell them I'm cheating, I get a lecture, I'm pretty sure they got the youth minister to teach on what I'm about to teach to you today. <laughs> it was an embarrassing, shameful process of going through this. But the bigger issue is if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to learn how to deal with this integrity thing. Telling the truth becomes suddenly very serious, very important in our lives. So we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a really important way to read the Sermon on the Mount that I just want to spend two minutes talking about. So God is love. Who God is, his identity, his being, his essence is love. In love, God sent 
his son to us. Are you following here, us here, me here? So Jesus says to love God and to love our neighbors. So we are trying to carry out this love in the world. And have you ever noticed loving people is really hard? We find ourselves in some really, really sticky situations trying to love people and to love ourselves and to love God. So the Sermon on the Mount, one way to describe it, is the ethic of love. It is how we are to live this out. Jesus gives this great teaching. And then if you go through the Gospels, Jesus in his life is showing us how he lives out, how to live out this ethic of love. So that's important because we need to find and we're trying to find in this world today how to live with integrity. I came across something really interesting this week. October 5th, 1992. Do you remember what you were doing then? Well, this was the cover of Time Magazine, Emmett, if we can get that slide. Lying. Everybody's doing it. The whole episode was, or, or the, the whole magazine was all these different series breaking out all these different lies, particularly business lies. And the magazine back in 1992 said that lying was so prevalent, it had gotten to the point in American culture back then that people weren't even expected to be honest with each other. And so let's think about Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme or Volkswagen's emission fraud. Or if you want something really interesting, look up Apple's current lawsuit over watches. How they literally copied a copyright in order to uh, get some features on their watches. So it can be sports, it can be tests, it can be uh, relationships, but we can be tempted to cheat, tempted to not have integrity. But integrity gets more difficult when people want something from us, when they try to get us to go the extra mile, when they're trying to take from us. Even worse, when people attack us, we want to get even or we actually want to get ahead. And this is all functions of how the world works. But we have a better way to live. Jesus gives us a different kind of integrity. So it sounds like we have a lot to learn. So let's go to God in prayer before we get into it. God, we come to ask from you because we know that you give graciously to all who call upon your name. So we ask for your spirit to instill in us the integrity and ethics of Jesus. Help us as we seek to love you and to love our neighbor. So to that end, pour through me the gift of preaching that Christ may be formed in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we read these ancient words. Again, you've heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Can I get an amen there? All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
So Jesus, as we've seen here, is rephrasing or examining the Ten Commandments. We have now made it to number nine of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, which has always been confusing to me. Because why is there a bear named false witness? And what does it have to do with my neighbor? There's your dad joke for the day. It turns out actually nothing. All of this has to do with lying and integrity and keeping your word. See, sometimes we've made this passage or we try to make it about not making oaths, which is really handy when we're, go- when we're called into court. Hey, I can't do this. This is against my religion. But the passage is not about swearing. The passage is all about integrity. Can anyone remember when you were a child, it was okay to lie as long as your fingers were crossed behind your back? You know, you could say whatever. And sometime when you like hit adulthood, you turn 18 and suddenly that's no longer allowed to do that kind of silly childish thing. Or have you ever had to swear on a dead family member's grave in order to get someone to believe you something? See, these are all questions of integrity. Why do you have to swear to get someone to believe you? Obviously, they are questioning your integrity. Now, as adults, we mature out of that. We don't use those phrases. We use different, more sophisticated phrases. We say things like, I really mean it. I really mean it. Or here's one that is really confusing to me when someone says, to tell you the truth. And I sit there and I go, were you not telling me the truth earlier? I can't really. And then on top of that, we're talking for a while, and then someone says, well, to be honest, and I'm like, you weren't honest with me earlier? What is going on here? But the hardest question, the hardest question of all of them to ask is, answer is, honey, how do I look in this dress? You're sitting there going, I don't know what to say here, because wives, why do you think we're fashion experts, okay? I think I can speak for all the husbands in the room saying, we are totally unqualified to answer this question. We don't know how to match colors or anything like that. Now, text your best friend. They might give you a better answer. But what is going on there? When our wife asks us that question, it gets at the heart of how we often live with integrity. Because it's a cost-benefit analysis. Husbands, you know how it goes. You're looking her in the eye and you're like, am I supposed to say yes or am I supposed to say no? And what is the cost of answering either way? And if we're honest, that's kind of how our integrity is sometimes. It's a cost-benefit analysis. We try to be ethical people. We try to go through life honestly, but it's really easy to go through life telling the truth until it comes to a greater cost or, and then our integrity seems to be for sale. So, what do we do about our lack of integrity? Well, I have some good news in this example that gives us hope. In uh, tw- 2008, a behavioral economic, econom- I can't even say that word, economist, Daniel Ariel, submitted a research paper on an experiment he did with about 300 adults. Here's the deal. He brought them into a room and he tried to get them to cheat. And he gave them a really good opportunity to cheat on the test. But what he did is he took half of them. And before they were asked to cheat on the test, 
He asked them to list as many of the Ten Commandments as they could think of. So they'd sit down there, they'd put their list together, they'd go into the room, half of them didn't do this exercise, half of them did. And more people, statistically more people, who wrote the Ten Commandments, whether they got to number nine or not, whether they knew number nine or not, were far less likely to cheat after they had listed the Ten Commandments. See, I think here's the issue. Our hearts are prone to wander, right? Our hearts are prone to cut corners. But why do we gather every Sunday to study this, these words, these ancient texts? Because it does something to us. It reminds us how to live with integrity. It gives us a different ethic to live by. So to hear these words of Jesus or to hear these Ten Commandments actually do something in how we live and behave in the world. So this integrity we're about to see, don't look ahead yet, is going to grow. It's going to get even more difficult because Jesus is going to give some case studies or some examples. But before we can look at this, I have to give you a little bit of context because I am about to share with you one of the most revolutionary, most amazing laws in all of the ancient world. It, this law was so important that it happens three times it is cited in the Old Testament. It sounds like this. First one, Exodus 21. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Leviticus 24, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Deuteronomy 19. Ooh, this sounds really interesting. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Why is this so revolutionary? Because to our modern senses, we're like, oh, man, that sounds pretty extreme. But here's what it did got rid of revenge. There would have been old timers before this law that said, well, back in my day when we didn't have these laws, we could just go get rid of these people. We could get back, I don't know why I gave them a southern accent. <laughs> we could get back at them, we could go after them. And no longer could they do that. They were just rid of that. Because when someone hurts us, let's be honest, we don't want to get even. We want to get revenge. And so eye for an eye is what we would call, does the punishment fit the crime? For example, if someone slams your hand in the door, you don't get to take their head and slam their head in the door. No, 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 no. It has to be even. You get to slam their hand in the door as well. So this is what was so impressive and cutting edge about this law in this day. Now, Jesus is going to say something here, and I think it's important to understand Jesus' tone. Jesus is being humorous here. He's calling us to be holy pranksters, okay? Now, I need you to think of the world of pranks. Church camp is often where this goes sideways with the boys, okay? The girls are all often like sincere and praying for each other, and us boys are terrorizing each other. And how does it start? Well, one cabin pranks another cabin. Okay? And it seems innocent and cute at first, and then it keeps escalating as the other one tries to get revenge or get ahead. And by the end of it, 
Like relationships are getting damaged and property is getting damaged, okay? I can think of one of these prank wars that ended with a former member in this church who worked at Trek with us. Uh, it ended when um, another Trek guide put a goose in his Toyota Tacoma overnight. And let's just say he woke up to a very smelly truck in the morning, not at the kind of air freshener that you wanted. Yeah. Ended a relation, like they didn't talk to each other for a few years. Things didn't go well. But I tell you this because it is to increase our imagination of what God is trying to do here. So hear these words of Jesus. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I just showed you where that was cited. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you. Do not turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is teaching on how to love each other. And uh, while sometimes it might for us go wrong, we might want revenge. Jesus is trying to show us another way. Because the truth is, if we get down to it, if we all lived eye for an eye, the whole world ends up blind. Because eventually, inevitably, we end up hurting or wronging or cheating each other. And this tit-for-tat way of living leaves us all hurting. We're just never simply going to be able to keep up with all the ways people have offended us and the ways we have hurt and offended others. Ultimately in life, we have to forgive. And so Jesus offers another way. He's offering us the way of non-retaliation love for those who have hurt us rather than getting obsessed with revenge. And here's where the humor kicks in. How do you respond? Well, Jesus gave us all these different scenarios. See, what are we used to? We're used to the two things that are just in our DNA, fight or flight. Someone comes after us and we're like, you know what? I am out of here. And we're running as quickly as we can to get out of that situation. Or if we feel like we have to fight, then we are fighting and we are not just fighting to match their level of aggression. We are fighting to exceed that level of aggression. So knowing that, who seriously, when someone slaps them, goes all Will Smith on them, just says, oh, go ahead and go on the other side. You know, just take a shot at this cheek. It's this non-retaliation way of saying, I'm not going to participate in this game anymore. We're, we're not going to live by this world of revenge. We're going to redo the order. I'm going to give you value and dignity, and I hope you will give me value and dignity as well. Maybe you have heard people described as, oh, they're such a great person. They would give them the shirt off their back. Well, we see that scenario here. Hey, would you give them the shirt off your back? Well, sure, there's people that do that. But Jesus says, give them your coat as well, which might be easier to understand as cloak. If you're giving all of the clothes on you away, what does that leave you in? Your birthday suit. You're like an Adam and Eve standing there, right? Like, oh, oh, I'm going to give everything to you. It is this generous 
outrageous way of giving things. Now, uh, there was a custom in Jesus' day that they were required by law to carry Roman soldiers' gear. One mile was the commitment. It was heavy gear, these Roman soldiers' gear. So could you imagine going through your day, you're trying to get some coffee, you're trying to get the kids to school, and a Roman soldier taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, not today, buddy. You're going to be late to work. You need, to carry, you need you to carry this a mile. You're interrupted in the middle of the day. You're working hard. You're carrying this gear, and you're like, I made it. I got all these things to do. And you're like, you know what? What's another mile? And the Roman soldier, I think, would have been like, no one goes the extra mile. How did, why would you go the extra mile? It would make a huge statement. Giving freely and allowing people to borrow from you seems like a really good way for people to take advantage of you. And so we come to this point in the sermon where I have to say that I think we lack spiritual imagination. See, pranks... Good pranks, particularly, which I happen to be or used to be pretty good at, they take a creative side. They take some thinking of how am I going to do this? How am I going to pull this off? And holy pranks should be just as creative. And you know what it makes me wonder as I open the text this week? Sometimes we like to fight with those around us, we like to have these moral and ethical arguments. With people, we talk about how uh, post-Christian the world can be. We talk about how all these people are leaving and denying God and, and walking away from their faith. And I wonder if we just forgot to be salt and light. We forgot to be salt and light because we forgot to live out these teachings. We forgot our Christian imagination of how we are to live and interact with people in the world. So when was the last time? You turn the other cheek. What would it look like if your boss came at you or your coworker came at you and you just said, I'm not going to play this game. And you found some way to serve them or to love them or not put up with it. When did we go the extra mile for our neighbor to serve and to care for them? When did we stop giving generously to those who ask? Because if we were to do these things today, which I think we are in some ways, but creatively... When put to the test, how could it change the world? I can't think but it, that it wouldn't change us and who we are on the inside and grow our appreciation and love for God. But I can't help but think it would change our community and our corner of the world. But more importantly, I think it would get people's attention. It would open them up for questions and it would bring God's kingdom to earth as it is on heaven. So as I get ready to wrap up this sermon and put a bow on it, I want to give you this challenge. See, in Christian business school, we went through this text often. Because what, what did they want to impress on us in Christian business school? Ethics, integrity. We got a strong dose of these scriptures on the Sermon on the Mount. And so here's the gist of the teaching we got. If you would uh, just have integrity in your job, your boss and your coworkers would trust you. And you'd gain a competitive advantage. If you're dependable, you show up to work, you do the things you say you're going to do, people will lean on you and eventually it will lead to a promotion. 
Um, if, if you are honest and ethical in the business that you own, this reputation will go throughout the community and it will perpetuate you in being more successful financially. And many of you, this isn't anything new to you. You've lived these things in your career. You know what this is like. You know it to be true. And I still believe this to be true as well. It's just that it's the lowest level of integrity. It's the basic. It's still living by the cost benefit analysis model. It's integrity 101. Well, everyone will have integrity when it's a benefit for them, when it works to their advantage. So let me give you a greater challenge. A few months later, I go into class again. I'm sitting next to Jenny once again, and the stakes are higher. We're taking what is called, it's this new invention, the PACT, the practice ACT, which actually at that point could count towards going to college. You didn't have to take the ACT if it turned out good enough. I'm sitting there and the teacher who's the proctor for the exam gives out five different versions of the tests and broadcasts that so we all know clearly what's going on. But what this teacher does is makes it painfully obvious that everyone on our row has the exact same test. I'm sitting next to Ginny on the other side of Ginny is one of the smartest kids in our grade. Jenny says, hey, cheat off me. I'm going to cheat off him. We're going to get a great score. And I'm sitting here trying to take this test that's supposed to be so important in life, and I'm wrestling with this moral decision. I'm thinking of what my teacher that caught me said. I'm thinking of what my dean and wrestling coach said. I'm thinking of what my parents said thinking of what the youth minister taught us out of this text after my parents probably made him do it. <laughs> I thought, what do I do? And I decided not to cheat. Didn't cheat on that test. I didn't do well on the test. Jenny did amazing. I think she got a 30. She ended up getting into a really good school. I believe it was Northwestern. Um, she got great academic scholarships because she cheated on that test. Um, and last I checked, her career was going really, really well. She was very successful. All of it based on a lie. And me, well, that day cost thousands of dollars not cheating on that test. I got into the college I wanted to go to, and uh, my career, well, by the world's standards, I'm pretty much a loser uh, for career-wise, but I'm doing what I think God called me to do. And so here's the real question. Here's the hard question. Here's the Sermon on the Mount question. The, the College 401 question. Will we follow Jesus with integrity when it leads us to the cross. 
Because anyone can follow Jesus when it leads to success for them. But if we are to pick up our cross and carry it and it leads us there, will we still have integrity? If we make our decisions based on this cost-benefit analysis, there's going to be a lot of dishonesty in our lives. So the truth is, Jesus is teaching us how to live in, uh, with integrity. And Jesus practiced what he preached. Jesus practiced it so well that it led him here. They didn't teach us that in Christian business school. And so at some point in our lives, we have to decide, are we going to live with integrity? Are we going to turn the other cheek? Are we going to go the extra mile? Are we going to give the clothes off our back? Are we going to give to people simply because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus? It's what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. And that's the invitation and the question I leave you with this week. Let's pray as we close. God, we come asking for forgiveness for ways where we've just cut corners, where we haven't always had the best integrity, where we need to live differently. So God, convict us to be your people simply because we're your followers, we're your disciples. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would give us this creative imagination of how we deal with conflicts, how we love others in hard times, um, how we forgive, how we serve, and most of all, how we live with integrity. So help us to love you and to love our neighbor. We thank you for Jesus and for him making this possible. It's in his name that I pray and all who agreed said, amen. amen.